0: Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me, and Eric, we have got a good show for you today. We it's Thursday. We typically don't do if you if you follow us the last two weeks. We don't do a Thursday podcast, but now that we're in Pac-12 play, that means we do Thursday podcasts because uh, we're going to have on RJ of the bootleg.com. He's going to come on and talk with us uh, about Stanford. Get Oregon fans familiar with the Stanford Cardinal get his take on a lot of things, and I, I think more, most importantly is I want to find out just where is this team mentally from a Stanford perspective, and where are they physically? Because they've been beat up the last two weeks, and um, there's also been the injury bug. Oregon's not the only school that's been hit by it. Stanford's been hit by it hard as well. So getting some information on Stanford is going to be good, and RJ's always the best in terms of knowing it, the ins and outs of the Stanford Cardinals.
1: Yeah, I, I'm excited to chat with him, and, and I, I agree with you. I'm curious on where they're at. It, you know, it's unusual for Oregon to play Stanford and Stanford to be kind of on the schneid like this. You know, they've lost two straight games, didn't play very well in either. It's really weird that Oregon comes in, like it's honestly kind of mind-blowing. Oregon comes into a game in Palo Alto as a double-digit favorite. I mean, i yeah. I have to go back on the research on that, but it, it would be my guess that hasn't happened uh, probably since early 2010s, two, probably seven or eight years. Uh, since that's happened. So, yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see kind of what the perspective is down there. I mean, does this feel like a, a season that's salvageable? I mean, it's crazy to say that after three games, but uh, this is not typically what, you know, these matchups feel like. You know, there's usually a little bit more uh, hype, I guess, if you will, bet- between these matchups, but because Stanford started a little bit slow and, and it got to maybe some other things, it just doesn't quite have that right now.
0: Yeah, there's – it's it's an interesting time. I mean, I think Stanford is – I, I, I still highly respect them. Yeah. Um, I, I, this season's start of their one and two start getting, you know, allowing 90 points the last two games, being blown out two straight weeks. Like you just don't see that with Stanford. And, you know, this is a team that still, though, has a lot of talent. I mean, they've got five-star offensive linemen. They've got five-star defensive players on the roster. You know, so the talent is there. And it, it wouldn't surprise me, right, where in typical Oregon-Stanford fashion, the Stanford Cardinal come out and, and play maybe their best game of the year. Like, right, like that, that seems to always happen. So I think going into this game, I'm expecting uh, a, a, an Oregon team to face a, a, a challenge by a Stanford team. It's probably going to be a little determined to show, you know, themselves, their fans, and the rest of the league that the last two weeks are an aberration and, and not what they hope is the standard for them this season.
1: Yeah, I don't think motivation is lacking for either side. Oregon coming off of last year's game where, where Stanford really stole one in Eugene and Stanford really in a kind of a put-up-or-shut-up kind of game here. It's crazy as it sounds, you know, it's your second conference game for Stanford, but if they come out and lay another egg here and they're 1-3 and and 0-2 in the Pac-12, I mean, that's that's pretty close to the season for them, I mean, in terms of winning the conference and, and competing for things like that.
0: All right, let's welcome in now RJ Abadia. uh our Stanford publisher on 247sports.com. RJ, man, thanks for thanks for doing this. How's it going? It's going great. Uh,
2: you know, it's uh, another week. And um, what would you rather be doing than talking Pac-12 football?
0: That's very true. There's not very many things out there uh, that I would want to be doing more than this. is, And this is a big game, right? Like breaking down... Oregon, Stanford, you know, I I think we can call them rivals. Like, not in the sense that they don't like each other, but I think it's become one of those games where it's, you know, when the schedule comes out every year, you know, Oregon fan, I'm sure Stanford fan looks at it and says, when do we play Oregon? When do we play Stanford?
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the keys when there's not just an inherent geographical reason or longstanding historical reason, like I think you maybe would say Oregon and Washington or sure. Stanford versus Cal, um, these teams have found a way to wreck pretty good seasons <laughs> of the others. Yes. Um, and it's gone both ways. It's happened in both directions, which I think is what you need for a rivalry to start um, kind of out of nowhere, in a sense you know, I mean, these two teams have been playing for a long, long time, but I think when you look at, you know, the last 10, arguably maybe 12, 13, 14 years, um, it's been about as good as Stanford, Oregon has ever been, and it's in large part because both programs have been playing for really high stakes, um, and both programs have seen the other one kind of blow that up in different seasons.
0: Yeah, you you mentioned how... Oregon, I think you know the golden age of Oregon football was probably two thousand and nine to probably two thousand and fourteen, two thousand maybe two thousand fifteen. But Stanford, starting in two thousand and ten, has has won the most games uh, in in the Pac twelve since you know in this decade with ninety five since the start of the two thousand and ten season. That's the sixth most uh, during all of for all of college football during that time span. So. You know, while Oregon has certainly played for national championships and, you know, Stanford has won the conference, I think, more, right, since, you know, over a nine this last nine-year period um, where it's pretty equal. Uh, and you look at the games, you're right. Like, I, I, I go back to 2013, that, that game where Stanford ruined Oregon's season. And, you know, I think Oregon probably ruined Stanford's season in 2015 at home.
2: Absolutely. I mean, those are those are the two. I think that most that go straight to your that go straight to your mind when, when you think about these things. I think there's no question that that Stanford 2015 team, if they beat Oregon, they are in in the in the BCS in the playoff. Um, and I think when you look at how good that offense was, I think they would have liked their chances um, in that playoff. And then obviously that. Uh, the 2013 Oregon team was um, – for 2012. I'm thinking of 2012.
0: Yeah. The
2: 20, 20, 2012 was the game in Austin. Yes.
0: yes. I think Oregon was number um, one or think, number two.
2: And I think you could argue – I mean, I've, I've put it forth as maybe one of the best defensive performances ever because when you look at that Oregon offense that season and what they accomplished in literally every other game that they played, um and you factor in that it was at Austin Stadium. Yeah, I mean, that was um, that was about as momentous a win. And I can tell you from inside the program, I think as you as they look back over the years, that game tends to come up when you ask when you ask people, you know which one of these games really has meant the most to you. I think that win certainly is up there um, amongst very few others uh, for for Stanford. RJ, RJ, what about
1: last year's game? I, we, you know, We've been talking to Oregon players this week about last year, and obviously it's a game Oregon feels they should have won. Oregon had complete control until late. How, how's that game received down there? And and kind of what was... Uh, I, I'm sure you, you, you kind of have an idea of, of kind of what it was like in the, the weeks after, but even in the year after that game, I mean, got, is that something that's still talked about down there? Because that's still a big talking point for Oregon this week. I
2: think... In a weird way, it's just diluted from the fact that it, it, it was clearly the apex of Stanford's season. Um, which in normal years, as we've just been talking about, like a win over Oregon probably should be the apex of your season and probably is worth celebrating and, and reminiscing about. But I think the way that the next stretch of games unfolded for Stanford after that, I mean, they were 4-0 after they had won that game. And then they went to Notre Dame, got blown out, um, blown out late, but still blown out. Um, and the season kind of unraveled from there. And so I think it's tempered by that. Um, but as far as the game goes, and as far as you know, winning in Eugene, which is always something that means a lot because it doesn't happen a lot for Stanford, um, it was tremendous. And and I would agree, and I think most Stanford fans would agree that. Oregon was the better team for the vast majority of that game, and so when you steal one like that, and you have this the confluence of events—I mean, the insane multiple bot snaps, the 80-yard defensive touchdown—I mean, yeah, it's, I think it would be a far more. I think it would be far higher up on the list than it is right now had Stanford been able to put together a little bit better season after the fact?
0: Let's look at this start to the season for both teams. I think Oregon had a lot riding on that game for week one against Auburn. And there was so much made up to it. I think part of the fact that was because of two ranked opponents opening the season that naturally creates a, you know, a lot of hype and a lot of interest and, uh, they they lost it in an unfortunate way kind of the similar way against Stanford where you know they had a lead and they let it slip away with with poor play in the second half and the last two weeks they've kind of dominated their opponent and done what they've they were supposed to do and for for Stanford's perspective at least the last two weeks you know they've it, we've seen some scores we typically do not see with with Stanford on the losing end, of being blown out in back-to-back games. They've given up 90 points in two games. Just what's, I guess, what's gone wrong with Stanford the last two weeks and just kind of where are they at coming out of this two-week stretch where, quite honestly, they've just, they've looked really bad.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think there's another way to say it and I don't really think there's a way to spin it. And honestly, I don't even think Stanford is trying to spin it at this point. they have been blown off the field the last two games. They've allowed 90 points in two two games, and they've allowed over a thousand yards of offense. So there's nothing fluky about these final scores. In fact, if anything, it's fluky in the other direction because Stanford got a late defensive touchdown against UCF when the you know the competitive portion of the game had long been concluded. Um, and so it's you guys know. You know, when things go wrong and when they go right, it's never, there's never a smoking gun. Right. I think, Um, and I don't think there is a smoking gun here. I think there's a lot of uh, recruiting chickens that have come to roost, Um, but I think it's also been exacerbated by just an unbelievably ridiculous string of injury misfortune. Um, Stanford started eight different offensive line combinations. In 13 games last year, and right now they're three for three going on four for four. And wow. um, it really just doesn't matter what offense you're running or what your philosophy is or who you are. Like, if you don't have stability on the offensive line, if you don't have the same five guys repping every day in practice, stringing games and weeks and months together, um, you're not going to be good on that side of the ball. It really just doesn't matter what kind of talent you have um, at the skill positions, And so I think that's a huge part of Stanford's struggles on that side of the ball. And then um, defensively, I think everyone kind of knew that this was going to be a really tough year, and it has been a tough year. Um, Their safety play has not been functional, really, at all Um, in the last two games. Um, Even their good players, like Paulson Adebo, who is a very, very good defensive back, you know, he gave up a touchdown um, last week, he gave up some other big plays. Um, So it's it's to the point, you know, where you get into that chicken or egg debate, like, well, the pass rush is not there. And so these guys can't cover. But I mean, these guys also shouldn't be asked, you know, at some point, you got to cover somebody at some point. And so very cynically and snarkily speaking there's plenty of blame to go around so I don't think there's any one thing that really should have to carry the burden but um it's been a rough two weeks and there's no question about it and um I don't think Stanford fans expect a significant turnaround this week um at least as you look at this matchup on paper
0: what's the the vibe then I guess of of the team itself like because when, when I think of Stanford football, I, I think of a team that I don't care who's gone and who's hurt. like they're gonna play elite defense and their game plan's always going to be ball control and and go over the top with their big physical receiver slash tight ends. and that they, that's just who they are. That's what they do, and they're really good at it. And I mean, when we saw with Oregon like in two thousand and sixteen, and I'm trying to say Stanford's on that trajectory, but when when Oregon, hit rock bottom like or when they started to go that direction like the team you could just visibly tell like they were not happy and it wasn't like they're frustrated and, and you know we're gonna work harder and get things done like it was bad emotion like what's kind of the I guess this the feel of this team's mindset like right now like because you know do they still see the, the possibilities that hey, like, the Rose Bowl is still a possibility for this team, or, or are they, you know, looking at it in a deeper, darker way?
2: You know, it's really tough to speculate until it becomes obvious, kind of like right. you described. Right. Um, the 2014 season for Stanford was an incredibly disappointing season because they had an elite defense um, and they had elite talent on offense. And they just underachieved significantly. And they were able to rally um, and win, I want to say, their last three games, if you count the bowl game, um, and play some good football at the end of the year and, um, and kind of put a better bow on a season that wasn't that great. But speaking to your point, um, there was a home loss at Utah where David Shaw candidly admitted um, he was worried as he delivered his post-game press conference um, the, the Stanford locker room used to be adjacent to the little room where they did the postgame pressers, and you could hear the screaming and cursing through the wall as Coach Shaw was trying to deliver his and do his, you know, his postgame Q&A. And he admitted later, like, he really was scared that he was losing the team in real time. Um, it turned out he wasn't. It turned out, you know, they kind of rallied and got it together. Um And finished out the season in a good way Um, but in terms of right now I don't think we're at that place yet but there's only so many consecutive blowouts you can absorb um, before the words start to ring hollow Um, Stanford's offensive players have been swearing up and down and coach Shaw has been swearing up and down for three weeks that they're not that far from turning a corner that they believe in the talent that they have and they they think they know how they're going to be successful. Um, And and it's obfuscated, obviously, by the insane amount of injuries on the offensive line. So I guess um, to cut this ramble short so we can start the next one, um, I don't (laughs) think they're down. I don't think they're down. I don't think they're in a place where they're doubting seriously. But I also don't think they're as far away from that place um, as many might believe, you know, from further outside the program.
1: How, how much do you think of this, RJ, especially offensively, that this slow start has to do with what's gone on health-wise with KJ? And obviously he missed a game. He obviously probably wasn't practicing at that point. I know there were parts of – correct me if I'm wrong, he missed part of fall camp, right?
2: He missed a significant part of fall camp. Um, and I asked – uh, we asked Coach Shaw that question yesterday, and he, at first, he minimized it. In fact, he used the word minimal. We asked, you know, KJ missed a lot of sprint, uh, a lot of training camp. Um, he was put on a a pitch count, so to speak. Um, obviously, he's had his regular season disrupted by the the, the concussion at Northwestern. Um, but you know, how much is that affecting what we're seeing from him at this point? And, he, at first, he minimized it and, and said it was kind of a minimal factor, but he did kind of elaborate after and kind of made it sound like it's not nothing. I mean, there's a reason these teams practice. There's a reason, you know, healthy teams generally do way better than unhealthy teams. Um, and so I think that's part of it, um, especially when you're talking about an off season where the, the lead receivers were going to be different people. Um, you know J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Trent Irwin are both gone as is Caden Smith you know so he's still got he still got Colby Parkinson as a familiar face and he's still got talent but you know it's all it's all reps you've either put in the throws and the hours and 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 the and the timing and all that stuff or you haven't and I don't think that they've had a chance to be as in sync as they need to be to be successful and then Certainly, when you add in the reality of the offensive line injuries, um, there's reason to say this offense can be better and that it will be better. I'll, I guess I'll just I'll just say that.
1: Well, and I guess my my follow up on that was, was going to be looking back to the UCF game. Obviously, it's tough anytime you miss a week like like he did against USC with with the concussion were there moments where things looked like they were clicking? I mean, were there were there positive moments to take it away, or did it just feel off, like, for all four quarters?
2: No, so, I think there were certainly moments that looked better. And as has been kind of a running team the last two weeks, there were at least two, three, you might even argue four plays where Stanford probably should have had six. And, you know, either a well-thrown ball off a receiver's hands or an open receiver was missed or there wasn't just enough time in the pocket to get it to the guy in the way that you wanted to get it to him. Um, So in a sense, Stanford's not wrong. I mean, Stanford could have done better, I guess, to speak more directly to your point. They should have had more than 20 points or 27 points, but 20 offensive points. But I also don't think that it's realistic to say, you know, they should have had 42 or 45 that UCF put up. They're not playing at that level regardless of the injuries um, at this point.
0: What's the the injury status just in general right now? I mean, I, I think you kind of touched on it a couple times. But just, I mean, I, I think from an Oregon perspective, like people are blown away at, you know, Oregon's receiver's position and how they've been decimated by injuries. Two two of their, th- of their three preseason starters are hurt. Still haven't played. You know, we don't know yet if Juwan Johnson's going to play this week or not. He's day-to-day. But he's been he's been day-to-day for a, a month for, for Oregon. Every day. Um, you know, <laughs> w- what's just kind of the status for for Stanford side of the football? Or can you maybe speak on just the impact of the guys that are hurt and just what it means for the team?
2: Well, I mean, I think you have to start at the offensive line. Yeah. Um, Obviously, left tackle Walker Little is gone for the year, and that significantly lowers the ceiling for this offense. He's a guy who pretty much everyone agreed was a a first round draft pick. Um, after this season, and even Coach Shaw kind of admitted that the the lean, obviously, or the expectation would have been that Walker could very certainly have left had he not lost this season. Um. And so you lose your starting left tackle, and that's obviously not great, and it gets exacerbated when you also lose your starting right tackle, and then it gets further exacerbated when you lose um, the top man on the second string, which is a big deal um, for Stanford, who likes to use extra linemen, but um, we're talking about Dylan Powell. Um, He's a guy who can play all three of the inside positions, and Stanford has not had him available, which has forced not just one freshman, but two, three, and four freshmen in two games, um, both at the start and in the middle of games. Um, and that's just no way. That's just no way to make anything work. I mean, Stanford. Stanford really believes in their freshman offensive linemen. They're 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 a pretty good group. Um, the talent is there, and I and I I. I agree with their optimism on a long enough timeline, but asking these guys to come in and perform against elite talent on the defensive end, on the defensive line is asking a lot. And so it's really kind of an issue now. Um, Coach Shaw was optimistic that Foster Sorrell's starting right tackle, uh, former five-star signee, um, he may be back this week. They're testing him. He's, he's getting out on the field. They're going to see Um, We could know as early as a few hours from now, um, and we probably will know no later than early Friday. Um, And then Dylan Powell, who I mentioned, also is in that same boat. So if Stanford's able to get those guys back and they're able to play, um, certainly you like their their chances um, to put some points up more than you would have if they don't have those guys.
1: Well, well, I guess what's – what's the general optimism level entering this game? Oregon's a 10.5-point favorite on the road, which is pretty unusual. Blows our minds. Yeah, which blows our minds. Very unusual in this rivalry. Um, And 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 there's obviously all these injury things you're talking about. There's the defensive issue you're talking about. There's the quarterback and the wide receiver issues. I mean, Is there a level of, like, they could put this together and win? Or is there sort of a level of... And I'm not talking with the players. I'm talking with the fan base and people around the program. But is it more of, like, the reserve to the fact that this is going to be A really really hard game for them to come out with a W.
2: Yeah, I mean, from that point of view and that perspective, I don't think there's any mistaking. Nobody really expects Stanford to win this game. Um, Hmm. The only drama, the only drama at this point, is the extent to which they can make it competitive, and how long they can make it competitive. Um, because you know that's just the reality. That's just what it is. I mean, Oregon. I've I've had this conversation previously and recently and and it's been really interesting because I feel like Oregon has gained so much ground on the line of scrimmage in the last couple of years um, and you guys can speak to the extent to which that's about Coach Cristobal or if that goes further back but I feel like when you look at the when you look at the personnel Oregon has at the line of scrimmage um, it's much better than in the days that we were talking about previously under Chip Kelly or, um, you know, Coach Helbridge, um just in the sense of just the depth. And so it's, it's interesting because I think stereotypically you'd say to yourself, well, okay, Sanford's going to have an advantage at the line of scrimmage, and Oregon will have obvious advantages on the perimeter, and then we'll just see which one of those advantages proves to be relevant. In this game, I don't think Stanford has a significant advantage anywhere, to be honest with you. Um, And that's just the way it is. Now, I will say that there was a game um, in, I want to say, let's see, Washington home. Yeah, I'm going to say 2017, um, where Stanford was coming off a pretty bad loss. They were kind of in a rough spot. um, And they they welcomed in Washington, who was highly ranked and, and kind of at full strength. And Stanford I think shocked a lot of people by, by beating the Huskies that day. Um, it was a home game at Stanford, so obviously that helped. Um, but it was it was very much like, you know, I don't I don't know how many I don't know if you guys are kind of big uh, wrestling fans, but I'm sure you're familiar with the 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 gif of uh, the Undertaker rising up. Right. You know, he's flat on his back and then up he pops. Um that game had that kind of feel. And so there's a chance, I suppose, that, you know, Stanford is hearing all this talk about them being buried and that they're going to come out and, and show you what can happen. And, and we know that in the Pac-12, really, there are no rules. So, you know, but that's that's where you have to start searching if you're looking for real signs of optimism. It's just the randomness of this league and, and the fact that, you know, Stanford's not going to just concede. There's no question about that. And and this game means a lot to them. And I think there's no underestimating how important this game really is to them in terms of this season. Um, if this game goes badly, I really don't know how they turn it around, aside from just, you know, playing some bad teams on the schedule. Um, and if it goes well, I think it's a pretty big shot in the arm to the to the chances of the season. But realistically, and you, like you said, not talking about the program or the players or the coaches, I don't think anybody really expects Stanford to win this game.
0: All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll finish up this podcast with RJ Batia Abet- Abet- of thebootleg.com.
1: Okay,
2: picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
0: All right, Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. And we've got RJ on from the bootleg, our Stanford affiliate for 24 7 sports. And RJ, let's look at this game from a matchup perspective. I think, from an Oregon side of things, offensively, like I think this is a year where they're going to want to throw the ball a ton. How is that matchup? I mean, with do you think feel you know, with, with Stanford's defense and more important in particular the, the secondary, how do you is this a group that, that that's got lockdown corners? I know there's a ton of size and you know they've got a lot of guys that are six two, six one. I don't know if Oregon necessarily has like a, a speed burner on their roster and um Stanford likes playing man to man. Um do you see this being kind of the the position battle that that decides the outcome of this football game or how do you what What's, in, what's the matchup that you're looking at that, that will say, hey, this decides um, who wins and who loses? Well, I'll say that I think
2: that matchup is maybe the first place that's going to be worth looking at because I would be very surprised if Oregon waited to test Stanford's corners and their secondary. Um, they do have Paulson Adebo, who's a very good player. Um, he didn't have his best game last Saturday, but you know, he's still a guy who was kind of touted as a preseason All-American and kind of has that talent and that kind of size. Um, but after that, there's some guys who who have some things to prove. And I think that, you know, I would be surprised if Oregon did not test them. Um, as far as the long term, um, for me, it really comes down to the line of scrimmage, and if if forced to kind of choose one over the other, I think it's the Stanford offensive line and the Oregon defensive line. Um, I just don't think Stanford can win or even keep it close if their offensive line does not have a good day or does not at least play Oregon to a draw or close to it or, or kind of better some. And when you're talking about the uncertainty that we've already kind of talked about, it's tough to kind of bank on that. But, yeah, I think for me, I'm looking, number one, at Stanford's offensive line versus Oregon's defensive line. Um, number two, I'm looking at Stanford's pass rush on the edges. Um, and then, number three, um, what you guys just said, kind of to match up with Stanford's secondary and, you know, can they, can they, turn, the, can they turn the page and, and put up a good effort after two pretty rough weeks um, that they put on film.
1: We've seen Oregon score at a variety of levels this year. Obviously, they scored twenty one in the opener against a Good Auburn defense. They scored seventy seven against Nevada then thirty five last week. If Stanford is to win this game, what what like what's the score range? Is, this, is it would Stanford be better off just based upon how their defense is played? Scoring a lot of points and it's a shootout or, or do you think it would or based upon the fact that they've had some offensive struggles? Is it maybe better said if this game is played? In the twenties or thirties, or, or does it really matter? I, I guess I'm just wondering what what would be their per, you know preferred style of play or preferred scoring margin.
2: I I think it's kind of a Dorothy in the the bowl of the porridge kind of scenario. Um, they're not going to put up seventy seven. I can tell you that right now. So um, if Oregon puts up seventy seven, then yeah, that isn't going to work. Um, and they Stanford's also not going to win. Stanford's also not going to win this game ten to seven. I honestly think it's kind of that sweet spot of maybe like a 38-35 or maybe a 42-45-42 situation, somewhere in there. Um, obviously, Stanford is going to limit the possessions to the extent that they can. Um, they're not going to rush things. So you are talking about two to three fewer possessions in all likelihood um, for both teams. So, you know, it's going to be tough to get north of 45, 50 without a rash of turnovers or something like that. So, yeah, I would think somewhere in those 30s would be where Stanford could plausibly win the game. Anything below that or above that, I think, is far more likely to
0: be an Oregon win. We've we've seen the last, I don't know, seven years, Stanford footballs had two of the most dynamic players at running back country has seen and christian mccaffrey and then back up backing him up and then replacing him and bryce love um they've had some good receivers that have certainly made i should say tight ends that have made a, a lot of money now in the nfl but just kind of what does this offensive group look like from a skill position i know cameron scarlett's there as a fifth year senior and you know colby parkinson's back for another year of being a massively huge tight end that puts up numbers but what do you make of this skill-wise position group at, on offense for, for Stanford? I think there's
2: enough talent to score. Um, like you said, I don't think there's a singular player anywhere near the level of Bryce or Christian McCaffrey. But I think there's quantity in ways that there hasn't been even in those years. Um, they've got Colby Parkinson. They've got four receivers that they really, really like um, in Michael Wilson. Connor Weddington, um, Osiris St. Brown, and um, Simi Fahoko. So, you know, any given time, they're putting guys out on the field that I think they believe they can work with. And Cam Scarlett has slimmed down. He's, he's a lot more elusive than he was, and he's, he's played pretty well, and he's been a little bit of a factor in the passing game. They're also kind of discovering some things um, with their freshman running back, um, Austin Jones. He had a 35-yard touchdown run last Saturday Um, and he's one of two freshman running backs along with Nathaniel Pete who I think they kind of like what they're seeing Um, so there's tools and there's there's talent and I think Stanford I think Stanford does believe going into this game that there are points out there for them on Saturday Um, the question is you know are they going to execute well enough to, to maximize how many points are out there and you know just how, to what extent can they slow Oregon down? Because, you know, I mean, that's the other reality is, I mean, Stanford could play a great offensive game, put up 35 points or 42 points, and still lose the game. So, you know, I think that's kind of where it is. But I I think when you're talking about skill, position, talent, I don't think Stanford feels it's lacking going into this game.
0: All right, last question. It's kind of a two-parter. why do you think Stanford wins, and why do you think Stanford would lose this football game? Like, what, what, what would have to happen for each of those scenarios to play out? If Stanford wins, it's going to be because um,
2: its offensive line gives KJ Costello time, and he outplays Justin Herbert. Um, if Stanford loses, it's going to be because they just can't keep up with Oregon's offense and it's just asking too much of Costello and everybody else on offense um, to get the job done, you know? And so, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of what it, that's kind of what it comes down, comes down to. Like, if it's a, if it's a really fun game in a sense, in terms of teams moving up and down the field, both teams, um, that's Sanford's best chance to win it. Um, And then if the fun is being had by uh, one side, well, that's gonna be how it goes, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> well, RJ, thanks for for coming on. Go read his work at the Bootleg. Uh, great coverage on Stanford football. Get yourself ready uh, for this game and get yourself familiar with the Stanford Cardinal by reading RJ's work. And if you're a subscriber of DuckTerritory.com, you basically are a subscriber to the Bootleg because you can read all his VIP information uh, that he's got on his on his on the site about Stanford to get you ready uh, for Stanford's game against Oregon this Saturday at four o'clock on ESPN. So RJ, thanks for, for coming on and Eric and I will see you in the press box Saturday night. My pleasure guys. Take it easy. All right. Thanks for, for having RJ on. We want to give thanks again to, to him for coming on RJ from the bootleg gave us some great content on Stanford and just, Hopefully, if you're a Duck fan, you feel now more in tune with what Oregon's going up against and and who they're going to be facing on Saturday. Uh, Eric, for me, it's just I knew Stanford was injured, but yeah. you know when our day just went through the the guys that are banked up and the starters that are hurt and you know the key backups and how many freshmen that they're having to rely on uh, along the offensive line and and other positions. You know, it it's just a a. a A situation that you're just not accustomed to seeing with Stanford, and it's it's pretty mind blowing.
1: Yeah, and and I'll say, like, I I was taken aback a little bit by how I don't want to say how we talked a little bit about how reserved they are to the possibility of losing the football game. There was a little bit, a little bit of pessimism there that I wasn't maybe expecting. I mean, this has been such a great rivalry. I know that we mentioned obviously the the spread being you know double digits Oregon favor. Certainly, that's unusual. Uh, especially in Palo Alto. Um, but yeah, it, it, this sounds like a game where they're coming in knowing it means a lot and that the kind of the, maybe the fan base is, is really skeptical of what they can do against Oregon. So it, it's going to be, I think, fascinating to see kind of the dynamic from both teams because I'm now feeling even a little bit. We talked about it earlier in the week about like the possibility of Oregon really dominating this game. Hearing sort of how Stanford's feeling, it, I really think it's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be they rally and they push Oregon really, really hard, and this is a really tight game, or the wheels are going to come off for Stanford and Oregon yeah. is going to win, really, really dominating.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, this just feels like it's going to – I think either way, I think there's going to be a lot of – one way or the another, there's going to be a lot of points scored. It could just be by Oregon. You know, they, they might just score a ton of points, or it could turn into one of those, you know, those shootouts where it's a a 38 to 45 or a 42 to to the 38 type of a performance. You know, I, I I just have a feeling that you know one of the the two for sure is going to score a lot, and if if Stanford wins, it's going to be in that nature of a 40, you know, it, the game in the high 30s, low 40s, and Stanford plays, you know. Maybe one of their best games of the year, and like and I said at the beginning, right? Like that just seems to always happen until, yep. you know, when when Oregon and Stanford play, the, the Cardinal for whatever reason always seem to play their best football of the year. And until that doesn't happen, I'm not going to expect Stanford to do anything else but that is and play their best game. And then so I I, I guess to wrap things up, it's it's just kind of you know. I want to see Oregon go in there and do what they're supposed to do. And that's win by double digits. Whether that's, you know, reality or not, I don't know. But that's what Vegas thinks.
1: Yeah, I I think you have to come into this one going, obviously coming out with the win is paramount. But this is, I feel, like a real opportunity to kind of send a message to the rest of the conference. That's
0: going to do it for us on the Austin Audibles podcast. Uh, Friday morning, look out for another one that will hit your podcasting service, whether that's iTunes or Spotify, um, Stitcher, what what have you, um, whatever you use to listen to us. Or if you just simply go to duckterritory.com, you can do that as well. Um, Eric and I will have another one Friday morning that gets released um, with Eric and I giving our predictions and giving our final thoughts, kind of tying the bow, if you will, on previewing Oregon at Stanford, four o'clock Saturday night. So, Again, thanks for RJ coming on, talking Oregon versus Stanford, giving us a good look into the Cardinal. And then, Eric, thanks for joining me, as you always do. Uh, We will talk to you guys tomorrow.
1: Adios, amigos.